0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. It's a very special episode with my dear friend, Theo, who will be the guest host of this episode, interviewing me about the broken road to mental health and life and a business. And I couldn't think of a better person to do the interview. I'm so thrilled with our time together that we had because I could really be me. And she would ask great questions that ignited a conversation hopefully that you can continue to have with anybody that you know that might be struggling um, within this mental health, addiction, depression, anxiety world that we're living in, that we're hoping to make an impact in. So thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much, Theo. You rock.
1: Good morning, Sharon. I am so excited to be here. It's Theo Prodramitis, and I have the distinct pleasure to talk to Sharon about something that is near and dear to my heart, the book that she wrote, The Broken Road to Mental Health.
0: In life and in business, Theo. Yes. Yes, ma'am. It's so good to be here and to see you and to not be the one doing
1: the interview. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, the the great part about connecting with people that have common goals and values is that we can bring out parts of each mm-hmm. other that other people can maybe relate to and help them to take action. So mm-hmm. I can't wait to dive in because I've got some questions about the book yes. and some um, interesting perspectives. And I would first love to just hear uh, what that that watershed moment was mm-hmm. that got you to take action and actually write it.
0: So I want everybody to know, first of all, the reason I chose Theo um, to do this interview is because I've, I think we're sisters from another mother somewhere in some other land. We spent a day once just talking for hours, and there's so many similarities in just the way we um, think. It takes somebody that just understands where you're trying to go, to bring out the best I feel like in people so I appreciate that first of all of you interviewing me today because um you were the first one I thought of so um you know I was celebrating my first well I was celebrating my 25th sober anniversary on August 11th so there was really no uh grand plan right I just knew that this year was going to be a monumental year for me um without planning for it to be monumental okay, and I mean that in the craziest way ever because it sounds ridiculous even coming out of my mouth but for 25 years this has been my life in recovery and speaking to people and helping them and helping myself and, and getting extra help so it's just been this norm and when you celebrate like an anniversary in recovery when you're in it for a while it's just, it's another day it doesn't really matter, you're doing it for somebody else. You're not doing it for yourself. But because um, my my mom's birthday, my 25th year, I just celebrated my 10 year wedding anniversary, um, I just felt like it was time. Because I saw so many people in my business industry, <clears throat> let alone in recovery, in life, struggling. And I almost started feeling guilty because I have a place. I have a design for living that I, I knew people didn't have. So for, to answer the question of what was the watershed moment, you know, I spoke about it briefly in the book uh, when I was the uh, health and wellness editor for a magazine. And I, was, I did have an opportunity to write something about my experience and for reasons I won't get into now, the story was changed. It hurt me in a very big way because it was my story and I didn't want my words to be wrapped up in luxury. Because I'm not a luxury girl. Don't get me wrong, Theo. I like me some luxury stuff. But I wanted it to be very um, real and authentic. So that was kind of the the jumping off place. I, I think also when you're told that you're not good at something and you're a New Yorker and you've uh, gone through tremendous adversity and your parents are from Ireland and I can list 35 other things, you tend to show them next what you're really capable of. So I hope that answered it for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's, you know, woven all through the book, the auth- authenticity and the real um, hard hitting approach, which I think is is why I read it twice. Um, mm-hmm. Because it related to so many people that I know and um, I especially love the fact that you chose um, a symbolism of cranes and Mm -hmm. they're on the front cover Mm -hmm. and then through the book it talks about cranes lifting you up and over. Can you tell me a little bit about you know the significance of that or how Mm -hmm. that really framed out to uh, to make it to the cover?
0: Yeah well I I do love cranes (laughs) and there there are two beautiful ones on the cover of this book And, and when I see cranes because you see cranes all over Tampa Bay right now, especially, right? Because we're going through such a, a wonderful growth period here in economic development. And because of business, I've always loved um, seeing cranes uh, around wherever my clients were because I knew that there was opportunity, that, that cranes resent, you know, present um, opportunity for people. Growing up in New York, we saw cranes all over the place, cranes where they shouldn't be, actually. Um, so... Uh, Crane, for me, has always been God. And I I realize that people have their own struggles with however they want to choose their calling for God or their higher power or Buddha or it doesn't matter to me. You know, I don't have any problems myself um, with the God of my understanding. I never have because I I grew up with a very um, Catholic uh, upbringing and I... Still cry when I go into a Catholic church because I think the stained glass does something to me and um and the beauty and and the silence that comes from um, being one with spirit so it's very personal right the crane God Buddha whatever it is very personal and for me it's just inside of me it's not anything I need to pontificate about or or try to convince somebody else to get involved in you know it's Uh, the crane has picked me up and saved me more times than I could ever express Uh, and I I do go into how one particular moment in the book um, which was very difficult and I shared it this weekend too at this uh, spiritual retreat just to give people an understanding that in the the toughest parts of your life if you close your eyes and and can connect with something that is greater than you because although some people might think they might be the greatest there just might be something better out there, that I I was able to close my eyes and and see a a prayer um, in a place where I should have never seen the footprints prayer. So, you know, the crane has just taken me out of destruction and placed me in places that I didn't actually think I wanted or needed to be. And then when it wasn't the right time, the crane came back and picked me up and, and placed me somewhere else. And I've I've always been able to have that visual in my, in my mind about um, uh, how powerful spirit is when, when you are connected and know that you have to listen. You have to listen to those whispers.
1: Well, that leads into an, the next question that I have, which is for people that are struggling with addiction or they have somebody in their life that is... Your your book is very personal. On that note, and I think what's really interesting is to, your perspective on you you didn't have a, um, a adversity to that point. So how can you describe to other people or maybe help them in the uh, the facet that your life wasn't tragic at the mm-hmm. beginning? It mm-hmm. was a great life, mm-hmm. and somehow addiction crept in. I mm-hmm. think that's the most really the most interesting facet is yeah. that you don't have to start down and out and have these this treacherous story is the mm-hmm. fact that it can happen to anybody.
0: Yeah, it really can, you know, um I firmly believe and uh, again not here to convince anybody that um alcoholism and addiction is a disease. It's not something that um you just think it's a great idea to smoke crack you know like (laughs) you go from private school upbringing very happy healthy home no divorce in my family at all my mother has 12 brothers they're immigrants are from ireland we're all very close we have a lot of love Um, I was very athletic uh, growing up. I was an honor student. I, you know, excelled in a lot of things. I was in a play. We were talking about your daughter. I think that that's one of the great uh, reasons that I I don't have a lot of fear when it comes to being on stage or whatever. Because I grew up singing when I was four. And if you're Irish, you have to. You have to have a party song, okay? Greek, too. Yeah, Greek, (laughs) too. Oh, I didn't know. Well, I'm learning things, too. I mean, you have to. Like, even if it's a bad song, you have to sing. So mine was You Light Up My Life when I was four. What about you?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, ours was always a Greek song, so whatever, and then accompanying dance. So in in Greek, it's not only singing, but it is more of the actual dance.
0: Yeah, we're not that great at dancing. (laughs) Well, I am. I mean, you know, but kidding. Talk to my husband about that. He's on, that's on the con list of my husband in the book. Did you see that? Yes, pros and cons about him, one is that he's, you know, not the best dancer. Anyway, I digress. So um, I think that... You know, for me, it was, it's an allergy, right? It's, an al- it's also um, it's a phenomenon of craving. That unless you understand and get the help that you desire, will you really get into the, the, the true chemical descriptions of what um, makes somebody an alcoholic or a drug addict? So not only did I have a physical allergy, but I had uh, a mental allergy allergy and I have a a mental illness that's wrapped into this addiction. And, you know, we like in our 12-step recovery groups to talk about it like it's an allergy to peanuts, you know, except you don't typically break out in handcuffs if you eat peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, you could break out in something, uh, something else. So you really have to understand the disease. I mean, the American Medical Association would not reimburse anybody for a rehab for an alcoholic or a drug addict if they did not have it claimed as a disease. So a lot of ignorance around that. A lot of people that are not educated about um, these things. Uh, You know, there's a a chapter in the book that uh, I've been studying for 20 plus years. You know, it's called the doctor's opinion. There's a doctor that, you know, thank God for this doctor. He wrote this letter to the board and and we were able to um get these health benefits right that are slipping in the industry too especially for people that suffer from Mm -hmm. mental health uh issues so i think that um for me it was really i mean as far back as i can remember but 18 being the first intervention because i was bad but i wasn't even as bad as i got to be right because it's a progressive disease so I started with just drinking. It was very innocent, just like most would. But because I have this chemical imbalance and this disease in my mind, in my body, in my spirit, I was addicted to it. I couldn't just put it down. I needed to have it. And they say, and it talks about it in the literature, about how, you know, uh, I started with beer. And that progressed to vodka. And that progressed to pot, and that progressed to cocaine, and that progressed to crack, and that, you know, always with blackout, so some people can drink normally, and not blackout, and move to a different state me, not so much, so um, there's a lot that people really need to to get educated about, and there's plenty of literature out there, Uh, and with Google today, like there's really no excuse, in my opinion, anymore to, to find it out, but um, Not everybody has to grow up, you know, in the slums to become an addict or to be homeless. So that's why when I see somebody that's homeless, I can see myself 25 years later as that could be me. So how dare I judge somebody? Because I should be that person. If the crane didn't come and pick me up, I could be laying in the street. So I am the one that pulls over and gives them the money or the whatever it might be that
1: I have to give. so. Well, I love that answer, and I think it really gets to what you're talking about on the side of being human, which is it is not your behavior, it is your physiology that we all have in common. We're all human beings comprised of carbon and oxygen and ad, whatever the atoms, and that we're, we all are predisposed regardless of where we come mm-hmm. from. And so with that being said, um, for people who may think that they have an issue or mm-hmm. actually have that little you know were there times when you you know at the beginning you were thinking I have a problem or you mostly thought you oh didn't? never
0: no no I never thought I had a problem my friends my family did everybody else did but I was completely in denial about it I just thought I was young and that's what you do you get drunk you, you go to parties and you, you smoke a little pot I wasn't hurting anybody You know, um, my whole family drank. I'm Irish. We would have parties till six in the morning, every Christmas at six Lawrence street. It was all I saw, but people could go home. I couldn't go home. I, I couldn't leave the party. The party ended when I passed out in my world. And, um, so yeah, for me, not leaving the party was, was the norm. And, um, I do, I do think that, uh, the progression is 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 actually pretty amazing. I mean, I can really see it today, obviously, because it did really start out very innocent, and I think it starts out very innocent for most people. And I think that the denial can be so extreme. Um, and if we were to look at people that were suffering more as they were spiritually sick, versus that they weren't, that they couldn't do it for their family or they couldn't do it for their wife or their husband or their kids that it's not something they're doing on purpose it's not something that they can control because in their mind even they don't see what you see so clearly it was very clear to my parents that's why they did the family intervention first it was very clear to the court when they mandated me to go to my second rehab you know um It was very clear to everybody else. And that's why, and I mention this in the book, for me, when I, one of the greatest things, which there was really nothing great about me going to Detroit, the only great thing that I felt was this sense of peace that nobody knew I had a problem. Because everybody around, I just couldn't get away from these people that thought I had a problem. Because I didn't think I had one. And now I could find my people who drank like me. That's why Brent's was such a wonderful haven. Of, of alcoholics and they truly saved my life you yeah. know when we talked about that this weekend on this spiritual retreat, uh, my friend Rick that had um, read the book uh, was telling uh, people in the group that I mentioned uh, the people in the bar, there was one horrific night that I had uh, I was you know, beat up so badly that um My face was distorted. I'm trying to get through this without crying. I understand. (laughs) My girl sitting next to me. But, you know, I walked into this bar, and instead of, like, nobody freaked out. They just gave me a beer with a straw in it, which was exactly what I needed. And only an alcoholic would know that. A suffering, sick alcoholic. So as much as they didn't realize they were you know, contributing to the problem, they really felt like they were helping me. And it is the same for me today. If I'm walking into a room with my people, I call them. You know, My people are people in business. My people are people from Ireland. My people are people from New York. My people are uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. My people are homeless because I identify with them. I identify with the being out of control, being out of your mind, and, and all of us need people that have empathy, and those people had empathy for me that day.
1: Absolutely. It, it wasn't
0: that I chose to be in a relationship with some scumbag that was going to do something like that to me, that I explained in the book, well... Not so much, especially in today, my dad's birthday. These aren't the things that I want them to think about because I know how much pain it inflicts upon them. And I say this today, and I mean this like true and true. All of these things, although very difficult to hear or say, were the greatest things that ever happened to me. Because I I feel for people. I know that people do not cause harm to other people because they just have nothing better to do it's stemming from somewhere else and not everybody has that gift and i I, i'm so blessed that i have it
1: well and i could see and, and we're on a podcast and i wish people could really understand the uh the the deep feeling that that sharon is sharing right now about Uh, relating to people who are in that struggle and honoring people that even though they didn't realize they were enabling you that Mm -hmm. they were really trying to serve you as a human Mm -hmm. because they saw what you needed and they were showing up and I I am interested about the guilt and shame Mm -hmm. portion when you said that going to Detroit the one relief was that you you could start fresh, mm-hmm. and somehow you thought it would be different, or mm-hmm. something would change. And, and I think a lot of people are going to relate to that.
0: Mm. Well, and there's so much shame. There's so much shame wrapped around it. I've been blessed because it's 25 years later, and I think it's important that I mention this again. I mentioned it in the book, and I'm I'm trying to mention it wherever I'm, I'm interviewed or, or spoken to. I was on the radio and uh, Bay News Nine two weeks ago that I would have never said anything if I wasn't 25 years sober. I think there's a big mistake that happens, you know, and we see this a lot with celebrities, you know, and they write a song about being sober and they're talking about it being one specific program. And the pro- and the reason that there's, you know, these traditions and these wonderful, um, call them rules, call them whatever you want, they're they're not, you can break the rule, nobody cares, you know, we're pretty forgiving in the program I belong to. You know, um, these traditions of us not speaking out about the exact program that we're in is to protect us. Because if somebody does come out and start speaking about, I went to this specific 12-step recovery program, and if that person, God forbid, relapses, they're not really looking at the place. I mean, they're not really looking at the person who relapsed and blaming it. Everybody's looking to blame something. And I've had it said to me myself, from clients, without knowing that I was in recovery, saying mentioning the name of the program that I belong to the 12 step recovery group and saying well you know that doesn't work Sharon (laughs) but it makes me laugh because I realize that it's their ignorance that allows them to say it it's people's focus group of one right right Gary Vaynerchuk says that all (laughs) the time My, my my fave So people maybe heard from somebody else that this program didn't work, and now all of a sudden it doesn't work for the world. Like, we have to be really careful about those things. We could say the same thing about working women of Tampa Bay, and I've said this to Jessica many times. Somebody goes uh, twice, and they don't, you know, they just show up, and they don't talk to anybody, they don't put any effort into it, and then they tell everybody it doesn't work. Well, that's just stupid. (laughs) You know, it's all about what you're bringing to the table.
1: Absolutely. And the important point of actually focusing on the human and the experience and not the particular program because um, it is important to raise awareness for the work that you're doing is to get people to take action whether they are actually suffering or if they're going to be the family members that want to do an intervention Mm -hmm. and they feel like oh am I really crazy for them to reach out what would be a suggestion that you would give to a family member who sees somebody they think that they are in trouble
0: Well, if my parents were sitting here with me now, they'd be screaming about Family Anonymous, which is what they did. You know, um, and and ironically, I always thought it was a a different name of the group. So we've had this conversation since the book came out because I thought Family Anonymous was like a made up thing. I knew they were going to something anonymous, but I didn't think it was that. And they have really, really um, had great talks with me recently about that being such a great help. Um, talking about it and relating to other people. And they, you know, I I did do uh, an interview with them not too long ago, because I've been asked this question so much. And and so many uh, parents are telling me about their kids that are addicted or struggling and what should they do. You know, for sure, you have to get help. Um, My parents are very emphatic about talking about how they would be shocked because it would be a well-respected doctor in the community that would be in the same group as them, and they'd be in shock because who would think that they would have a child? And their relatability and their ability to identify with the issue is what brought them so close together. And it's the same thing with me in my recovery. Um, And then they were going to, my dad was seeing, you know, Ben, Tuesdays with Ben, it's in the book. Um, They got extra help. We always call it extra help. You know, you have to go and talk to somebody. I like to to change the conversation of, you know, I, I, I think anybody that's talking to a therapist, a counselor, I think that they're healthy. I think my I'm always like, wow, good for you. Like, you, you realize that you're not the end all. You know, bravo. Somebody else might be able to help you get through it. Same thing with having a business coach or somebody to help you um, uh, with consulting or marketing, whatever it is. It's all the same. Uh, Everybody needs to to talk to somebody. So for sure, um, Googling, you know, Family Anonymous, um, reaching out and and speaking to somebody that specializes in addiction or alcoholism or mental health or depression or anxiety. Because this is, you know, the, the, the next venture I'm on is being able to help people to understand because I'm in the medical community. That if you go to your primary care doctor and you tell them that you're depressed and they write a prescription for you to go on antidepressants, that's because they're not specialized in mental health. They're primary care family physician. So, of course, that's what they would do. I mean, they're just taking care of the problem in the only way that they've been taught. Now, it's easy for me to say that because I'm in the industry and I understand it. You want to have somebody that specializes in whatever it is that you're going through. Those people are out there, but you have to make sure that they know that you have a child or you have a problem with drugs or alcohol. Define it as specifically as possible and interview the doctor, okay? Don't just go to somebody because they're on your plan, for God's sakes. For fuck's
1: sake, as my family (laughs) would say in Ireland, okay? Okay. <clears throat> exactly. Well, um, I had noted on page 33, you describe the internal monitor that we all have to know if a therapist is right for us. And how do you think that, you know, being in that vulnerable state, you, you still have to be, you still have to trust that internal monitor.
0: You really do. I mean, I can feel it in a nanosecond with any human being if it doesn't feel right. And you really need to pay attention to that anytime that i and i'm sure you would relate to that when you don't listen to that internal flag um you pay for it right absolutely and um and i certainly went through a whole bunch of uh people In um she's putting ice into the cups yeah that's what people do here at what what hotel are we at we are at the West Shore Grand. The West Shore Grand, and darling.
1: There, there's some shoveling of ice going on in the background. You
0: know, and that's they were like, I think it's time to shovel ice in the middle of their podcast. The nerve of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I have no clue what I was saying. Perfect. You were, yes. Yes. The
1: internal monitor. The internal how monitor. Do you, how do you, you know? And
0: that's my ADD. So, um, you, you have to pay attention to it. Yes. If, if you're not connecting... With a doctor, a therapist, a psychiatrist, you need to go. And know that a psychiatrist is there to prescribe you medicine. A psychologist is there to help you with therapy of your mind. A therapist has other qualities. So make sure you do your due diligence. There's also YouTube, okay? Like, there's an unbelievable amount of great TEDx talks right now about mental health. Like, listen to them. There's so many great resources today. I listen to Jay Shetty. It's one of the podcasts that I've been listening to. He talks about mental health in the last episode. I mean, there's some really great people giving some really powerful tips on what you can do. You don't have to go through it alone, but you must talk about it. You must. Absolutely.
1: No, I love that. And I know that there's, a, you know, rich, rich information, not only in the book, but the resources that are available Mm -hmm. and that, um, the words that have always encouraged me that you're never alone, that there's, there is uh, always somebody out there that's gone through what Mm -hmm. you've gone through. And as a human being, you are worthy and you are worth getting the care and, and going through recovery. Um, I want to
0: make one mention of community really quick because this was on this last YouTube. I had mentioned this to you before we sat down and you know, we'll probably have to do a part two another day because I I think it's so important that um, we have this conversation about community I was gifted with um, the first gift of desperation Okay, I was willing to do whatever it took and that's a major factor in in getting your life back on track Um, when I was 21 and I finally decided to uh, to give up the fight I had this great um, uh, amount of love around me with my family I had a wonderful therapist, you know, Tuesdays with Ben from New York Hospital. My dad's EAP counselor. But I also had this 12-step recovery group. So I was able, you know, today when people go to therapy, sometimes somebody goes once a month or they go once a week. I don't know. Maybe they go to, I know Howard Stern goes three times a week to his psychiatrist, which I'm, you know, like, maybe it shouldn't be a psychiatrist. Anyway, who cares? I'm digressing as always. Um, I think that The luxury that I had that really catapulted me into recovery was that I had the love, I had the therapy, and I had my community that related to me. And I think that this is where the shift will be happening um, that I'm certainly working on uh, when I'm getting quiet and I'm going on spiritual retreats and I'm listening to the whispers of what needs to be done next, is that it, it needs to be, you need to talk to people that identify with you. You and me identify with each other A lot. A lot because of business, but a lot because of other things, right? And when you have a connection with somebody, you could just, you feel like you could be yourself and you're comfortable. And that's what I have. But I've had that for 25 years. And I see that disconnect now if somebody has anxiety or has depression. They're just going to either get their meds or they're getting their meds and they're going to a therapist but then they don't have a group of people that they can talk to consistently that become their people. I mean, I left this spiritual retreat. We were literally singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat in a room, which I can't even explain to you right now. But And we're crying and we're laughing because we're sharing the deepest, darkest um, truths about our lives and realizing that we can all get through it together because we love each other. And that's a gift. So I think that we need to change the conversation and do something in the community, not just with the professionals, but the professionals need allies like us that have practical experience, that can give practical advice to get people the help that they really need. Because it's a family disease and it affects everybody like a freaking tornado came through and then everybody's left to pick up the pieces. So... Thank you for asking me that. I know um, we've of course gone on longer than we probably should have, but I, well, it's so important to both of us.
1: It is, and I look forward to uh, maybe following up with a part two because one of the other fascinating <clears throat> parts of the book have to do with the um, the notes on applying it to business, and yes. I love that because mm-hmm. this is so critical mm-hmm. for the business facet. So maybe we can follow yeah, up I and like love that. draw out some more uh, I would love things, that. and always. Um, the resources available and giving people hope you're not alone
0: yeah and I'll put some of those in the the episode notes about some uh, websites or you know some just some practical things that I use that maybe um, you haven't thought of yourself out there in the audience but really thank you Theo because this is exactly how I wanted it to be just a conversation of of realness because it really is um, there's too many suicides and there's too many overdoses today um, and not just in uh, 12-step recovery and people that have alcoholic backgrounds. It's happening in business, to entrepreneurs, to too much stress. Um, and we all need to uh, just help each other and be kind. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. I was honored to, to, to be here. And I look forward to our next conversation.
0: Yeah, Theo. Go, <laughs> girl.
1: Okay. <Over. Over. laughs>
0: Bye.